So, all right, we are continuing in our series that is called uh, Foundational. All right, and the idea is we want to focus on some core beliefs that are important to Christianity, but are often misunderstood. Okay, and so last week, we tried to break down all the different things that kind of Christians believe and put them into categories of how important they are. Okay, and so we had core beliefs, and this was at the center of it. And core beliefs, this really is what makes you Christian. Like, and so some of this was, we've had people asking, like, well, is, is this group Christian? Is this group Christian? Are we all Christians? Or well, where's kind of that line? When, when do we, you know, join with other churches? When don't we, you know, all those different types of things. And we said, okay, this middle, this core beliefs, this is really what defines Christianity. And it's a larger group than what I think most of us would usually want to say. I think maybe we would actually say that, but in our minds, it's easy to have this idea like, we are all kind of doing it right, and everyone else is doing it wrong, and because of that, that disqualifies them, and, and that's just not really always the truth. Now, this is not saying that, that we are universalists, that everybody, you know, there are clear defining lines. We talked about that last week. Uh, I, I'd encourage you to go check that out if that's something you're interested in, uh, but then we also kind of going out, we have, we have key beliefs, like things that really are important, but we're going to vary from church to church sometimes. We have secondary beliefs. We vary in those even more. Those are probably a little less important. Then we kind of have like the practical, how do we do this? All right? And that's actually where the majority of the arguments come in, is these practical things. Like we all believe in, you know, fill in the blank. We all believe in baptism, but how we do it might change drastically from one church to the next. Uh, and then the last category was just preferences. And the reality is, what we said last week is, the majority of people choose a church or get upset about or fight with other Christians over those last two categories. The ones that probably matter the least, but are the things we argue about the most, right? Like, well, I want the carpet to be this color. And if you don't want it to be that color, then I'm not friends with you. And we just kind of have these like terrible like attitudes. We fight over the dumbest things sometimes. All right. And so, so after laying that out last week, I, I want to take us today and kind of dive into what we would say is our core beliefs. Um, and we talked about this a little bit. So the things that really matter, things that are very clear in the Bible, crucial to our faith uh, and understanding. And we are going to use something that isn't very traditional for our church to look at, uh, but I think it at least gives us a good starting point. It's where we can get the conversation going and kind of jump off from there. It's something called the Apostles' Creed. All right, you maybe grew up saying it or memorizing it. Maybe it's new to you. Uh, honestly, my experience with it, for the most part, would be reciting it at funerals, like more liturgical funerals or uh, things like that. Like that's, I didn't really grow up with the Apostles' Creed being a core part of, of much of anything. All right, so I want us to look at that today and kind of see what, does, what could this mean for us today. All right, so with that, I want us to get kind of like our academic brain on today. All right, sometimes we kind of go more and we're like, all right, how do, let's challenge ourselves. What can we be doing? And, and all these different things today, I want us to kind of be ready to go a little bit more academic with this, all right, but then not let it stay as just head knowledge, but allow it to then actually move from there to our heart and to be something that, that matters to us and is something that we, that we even live parts of our, our life kind of based off of this. All right. So, uh, if you are willing, if you are able, would you stand with me today? 
I want to just open us up in prayer, and then we'll continue on. So God, we, we ask that this time, Lord, would be beneficial to us. God, that this is something that we would um, really just take to heart. Lord, that we would be changed by this process and, uh, and just challenged by your word and, and even just what the church before us has even done. And, and so, God, we, we pray that this time would, would change us. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. One of the things about uh, modern society that I'm, I'm not sure if I love it or hate it, kind of depends on, um, on what's going on with it, but it, it's our desire to be able to measure things, right? Like we want to be able to measure all sorts of different things in our life. We want to have answers to everything. We want to uh, know if we are successful. We want to know if we are getting better and growing. And in order to do that, you have to be able to measure whatever it is that is in question. All right, so some of the things are easy to do. Like if you say, well, okay, I want to lose weight. Well, you can count pounds based off of a scale. Like that's, that's pretty easy to do. But when you change, I want to lose weight to saying I want to be healthy, all right, that becomes a little bit harder to measure, right? Because we all know like being healthy is not necessarily a weight. Being healthy is so much more than that. It encompasses so much more. Um, and so kind of like, well, I want to spend more time with my kids. Okay, well, that's kind of measurable. I could actually sit down and I could log the amount of hours every week that I'm investing in my kids. If I want to say, I want to be a better father. Okay, that becomes a little harder to measure. But as you can see in both of those examples, the things that are harder to measure are actually more important. And that's where kind of some of this difficulty uh, comes in, all right? Uh, and, and I think that, you know, we, we want to be a healthy church. And I think a healthy church is growing numerically. But at the same time, watching that number does not give you a full gauge of how healthy the church is, all right? And uh, honestly, I think that, like, Okay, in the book of Acts, they do say this. They say, you know, after the, the sermon at Pentecost, Peter gets up and preaches and says 3,000 was added to their number that day. Like, that's crazy. Can you imagine going from about 12 people to 3,012? And just the, the changes that have to happen in some of that, all right? And, um, it, it's just, that's wild. But there is some resulting problems that, that happen. I think in, in order to be able to count whether someone is a Christian or not, which is what we often want to do, uh, we have tried to make these clearly defined parameters of who is a Christian and who isn't. Like if you have said this prayer, then you're a Christian. If you have gone through this class, you are a Christian. If you have taken these steps, you are a Christian. And, but I don't think that it was meant to be a classification like that where like you are granted this state of you are now a Christian. Okay, I don't, I don't think that's really what was intended in a lot of this. All right, like as long as you don't break these big rules, then you're good. But I think it was probably meant more to be, are you living in, the, in this way daily? Are you pursuing God daily? It isn't, you know, have I dropped below this certain weight, so now I'm good. You know, it's more the idea, am I a healthy person? Am I doing this daily? And I think that's really more of the measure of Christianity. Not some easy, measurable thing, but something that we say, where, where is my trajectory? Where, where am I pursuing? Okay, and so at times we have unintentionally turned Christianity in this thing where we almost say this. We say, what is the bare minimum 
I need to do to get into heaven. That's kind of the attitude that a lot of people have, right? Like, what is the bare minimum I need to do to be a Christian? What is the bare minimum to kind of stay in this spot? And this is the wrong question. Okay, this question, like, when I think of it like this, it reminds me when I was a youth pastor, we'd get up and we'd talk about maybe dating or things like that. And without fail, if you did a Q&A during a dating series, you would always get the question, so how far can we go physically and still be good? Right? Like, it's every time, every single time. That is the golden question that teenagers wanted. Like, what are we able to do? And it's just, you're sitting there and you're like, that is the wrong question. Right? Like, anyone would say, that, that's the wrong question. And yet it's the question that's in many people's minds. Many teenagers' minds. Same thing with this. Like, this is the wrong question. And yet, it is the question that's in a lot of Christians' minds. Okay? Because really what these types of questions are saying is, how much junk can I have in my life and still be okay? That, that's the basis of these questions. When the right question probably looks more like, how can I honor God with everything that I am and everything that I have? Instead of saying, have I done enough, we say, what direction am I going? What is the trajectory of my life? What impact did I make for God's kingdom yesterday? What impact am I making for God's kingdom today? All right, so think of it this way. I've used this example before. Uh, Pretend that this square that's going to be behind me, that this represents Christianity. Okay, and if you are inside the square, you're inside those boundaries, those parameters, you are a Christian. If you are outside of the square, you are not. Okay, and let's pretend like the closer to the middle that you are, like the the healthier you are. All right, then we ask, like, so which one of these people is in a better spot? Okay, like most of us would probably look at that and say, well, the person on the inside of the square seems to be in the better spot. All right, Um, and and we've kind of used this. I've even talked with like teenagers for a worship team before, and you say, okay, if you're building a worship team, people are going to be on that. Like, which one of these two people would you want to be on the worship team? You know, like, well, if you're going to be up there and you're singing and you're leading people in in songs, like, I guess you probably should be the one on the inside of the box. You probably should be the Christian. Okay, well, what if I add some arrows that represent trajectory? Okay? Now we don't just see where someone is, but we see what they are moving towards. Now, who should be on a worship team? Does that change it a little bit? Even if they're still in the same spot, not saying they've actually even moved, that's just their trajectory. Okay, or we could say, like, who, who is in a healthier place? And we like to try and use that box and say, well, as long as you're in there, you're good. Well, where we're moving absolutely matters, the direction that we're going. And, and I, I bring this up because sometimes we use these core beliefs that we're going to talk about today to create this box, and we think, if you hold these beliefs, you are good. Understand that particular beliefs do not guarantee where you are in your walk with Jesus. In fact, you could hold a certain beliefs in your mind, but your actions could be totally different. Like, belief is not enough. In the book of James, the author says this. He says, uh, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without without good deeds is useless? So as we talk about beliefs today, these matter. Beliefs do matter. But understand, it must be accompanied by more than just beliefs. Okay? 
All right, let's, uh, let's look at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I had said last week that this is something we could potentially use as a starting place. And I want to give some quick background on it because I didn't really know a whole lot about it. And so I'm going to assume that there's people in the room that also don't know a whole lot about it. Okay, so uh, if we ask ourselves, how do we know what we believe? How do we come up with our core beliefs? Um, the answer probably would be the Bible. Right? I think most people would be like, yeah, we, we look to the Bible for a lot of those things. Well, what about early on in Christianity prior to the Bible? All right, like maybe you didn't know this, but when Jesus ascended into heaven and left his disciples to accomplish his mission, he did not like ascend up and then the Bible floated down in his place. That's not how this worked. All right, now they had... Um, they had kind of the Old Testament. They had books that they considered to be um, inspired scripture. And it was thought that at Jesus' time that, that the Jewish people had a pretty good idea of what was considered kind of their canon, the Old Testament. All right, now there was some disagreement and some of the books we disagree about today still. Um, and some of those are actually written just prior to Jesus' time or even during or after that. Um, and then, so we have like, the four Gospels that tell Jesus' story, okay, that are in, in our Bible. And then, then Luke also wrote about what happened in the early church, the book of Acts, the first 30 years or so. Then you have these letters that are written, and, and uh, mainly from apostles to different churches who are starting to try and help them understand, like, this way of living. And early on, many of these letters, as they were circulating, before they were in what we call the Bible, they were still considered to actually carry a certain amount of weight. Like, People at the time knew that this letter from Paul was important and that it was more than just like our friend giving us advice, all right? But the Bible as we know it, saying that there are like X amount of books or letters in it, that didn't happen until about the middle of the third century. So I mean, imagine this. You have about 250 years where Christianity is, is growing and moving and thriving and there is not a Bible as we know it. So what would happen then during that time is that there would be issues that would come up. How do we know what we should believe? Should we believe what that guy's saying? Should we believe what this guy's saying? And that's kind of why we have the letters that make up our Bible. The apostles are writing to them saying, no, stay away from that, move towards this. That's not okay, this is okay, different things like that. But somewhere around the second century, it seems that the apostles' creed started to show up. And it was a little different from what it is now. But this statement that outlines some core beliefs, the legend was that each of the 12 apostles wrote one line of this. But that's, for the most part, we know that that isn't really true. Um, and, and this helped define what they believed. It could be memorized by somebody who was illiterate if they couldn't read, and they could still kind of basically understand it. And, and it was used actually as a confession of faith at baptism. Like, they would kind of say these lines, and then the person would respond with, like, I believe. Like, so before you get baptized, do you believe in this? I believe. Do you believe in it? And they kind of list these things off. All right? Um, and this was, this was important to the early church. But as we go through it, you're going to see that it's pretty basic. So there were areas for people to come up with their own beliefs that weren't accurate or good that didn't go against this. And so actually then at that point, maybe you've heard of the Nicene Creed. Okay, so that was created uh, about another 100 years later. And then another 50 years after that, they went back and re-edited it again because they were trying to stop some bad beliefs that were showing up. 
And so these creeds were kind of part of that, you know. And, and one of the things is the Apostles' Creed, as you'll see, it doesn't really talk about the relationship of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit to each other. And so that's where a lot of different things kind of started to, uh, to show up. And because early in the church, there was this heresy called Arianism. And the idea behind it was that Jesus was not on the same level of God. All right, you had God, and then Jesus was like below him. And so that was kind of a belief that was going around, and they wanted to correct that, which is why they started coming up with some of these creeds, okay? Uh, and what's funny, or, or maybe not funny but interesting, is that this same idea that Jesus wasn't on the same level of God, uh, that Jesus wasn't eternal like God, that he wasn't there for all time, um, it showed up in our state of theology, theology survey that we sent out kind of during this series, and we had people in our church go through, answer these questions. Um, and so here's, here's one of the answers uh, that we kind of had there. And it says, you know, there's, there's one true God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As you can see, our church, for the most part, really agreed with that statement. I think it's because you, you've heard of the Trinity. You're like, yes, I understand what that is. Okay. Um, well, there was a question that asked more specifically about the relationship between Jesus and God. And this was the answer. So it says, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And you can actually see that for the most part, we are almost split on one of the oldest heresies in the church. That according to this, uh, not quite half, but getting close to it of the people that filled out the survey in our church would hold to this old heresy. All right, and some of you are sitting in the room, you're like, oh, what did I answer on that question? <laughs> Okay, well, here's the thing. Um, I would actually say that I don't think this is necessarily indicative of where we are at. Okay? Um, so the, the truth would be that, that Jesus was not created by God, that Jesus is eternal. We see Jesus even through the Old Testament in different ways and, uh, and that. But I think here's what the problem is. It's a really hard thing to explain. It's a hard thing to understand when we start talking about the Trinity and what is the dynamics there. Um, and I don't think that half the people uh, that responded to this actually like hold to a heretical belief. Okay, like, by the way, heresy is just, that, that's something that is a belief or opinion that is contrary to Christian doctrine. All right, I just think that basically what happened is a lot of people had never thought of this before. They had never been asked this question before. They had never thought through what they believed on it. And they read through this, and they're like, well, it makes sense that God created Jesus. Especially if we're talking about, well, Jesus was born, and, and we remember that. and So yeah, and, and then I think as well, the language that we use fails us at times. There's parts of our language that just we aren't able to understand um, everything that we should be able to understand. All right? Like, God is outside of time. As much as I understand, like, what that is saying, I do not comprehend what anything is like outside of time. Right? Because we are absolutely locked into time. To try and understand something being outside of time is incredibly difficult. And I think what happened here is that we see this and we think of the, the words that are used. Jesus refers to God as his father. And from a human standpoint, when you have a father and a son, the father always predates the son. The father always creates the son. 
So I think when we read something like this, we've never thought of it before, and we're like, okay, Father, Son, yeah, that makes sense. God probably created Jesus. So I don't think that we probably have many people that would push back really hard and truly say, I think that Jesus was created by God. We might have a few people that would, that would make that argument, but I don't think that that's most of it. I think it's just we tried to use our logical thinking, and that makes sense. All right? Um, what we need to understand and know about our beliefs is that so many of our core beliefs, they end up impacting a lot of other things down the road. Like if you hold this belief, that actually decides for you a little bit of all these other beliefs that kind of follow that. And so when we have a core belief about the Trinity, about the, the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, those beliefs really matter and play out in a lot of different ways. Uh, and the fact that Jesus is on the same level as God, it really matters. We're not going to go into today on all the different things that that impacts, all right? But it's just something for us to kind of understand. So, um, what I think is important to the early church, we see listed in the creed. The creed was broken into three articles, and I want to read each one and quickly uh, talk about what is meant by it, okay? So we're going to look at this. Uh, the first article is actually really short. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. All right, and it's just that. And when we read through the Apostles' Creed, it's easy to just think these are really basic statements. What I want to do is actually even walk us through why some of these basic statements really matter and how they kind of play out. So in these simple words right here, they had built in some truths to combat certain heresies. Uh, in, in early heresy that was very popular and still is today um, in some areas of Christianity is something called Gnosticism. Okay, you don't need to remember these words. The general idea of Gnosticism is that all the physical world is bad and that everything is spiritual is good. And actually even that the, the physical world was created by an inferior deity, an inferior God. Okay? And so what this would end up doing for people is they're like, okay, we are after knowledge and wisdom and we want to basically kind of transcend some of these things and we want to get out of this physical life and go into this other one. And it, it almost, as you hear that, maybe you can even think uh, back when we had uh, one of the missionaries here with us talking about Buddhism. You're like, that kind of sounds a little bit on par with what Buddhism believes. Okay? Uh, and it stemmed from this teaching that the physical world was bad. Um, and... So I think it's important for us to understand this, like where this still shows up in Christianity today is that we, we have people that think that, okay, I just, this isn't my home. I'll hear that phrase. This, this isn't my home. My home is in heaven with God. That's really not a biblical stance at all. It's kind of counter-biblical. All right, like God created this. He made creation. He called all of it good. This was our home. We were created for this. All right, and people will be like, well, I just, I, I can't wait. You know, when I, when I die, then my soul is going to go and be with heaven. And you're like, well, that's actually not what we see in Revelation 21 and 22. What we see is, is, peop, is that, that we are going to come back and we are going to be here and we are going to be physical beings. And the physical is good. All right, so the ancient Christians, they refused to see anything in the world as inherently evil. 
like everything in the world had been made by the good and wise God. Okay, and so their thought versus Gnosticism, they'd say, we live in a sick world that needs healing. Whereas Gnosticism would say, we, we live in an evil world that needs destruction. And so even as they say this, maker of heaven and earth, they are making a stance even in this simple statement. Okay, but how many of us would actually get that from like that little statement that we repeat there? All right, the second article, this is the longest one by far, focuses on Jesus. It says, in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. Now, the earliest Christian confession stemmed from two Greek words, three English words when it's translated, and it was just simply, Jesus is Lord. Everything else stems from that. It's like, that is, that is the hub, and everything else is spokes going out to the wheel. Jesus is Lord is the basis for everything. It says, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. All right, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, giving us the same picture, um, kind of as like the creation of the world, where we saw the Spirit hovering above the waters. And then when Adam is created, God breathes his breath, his Spirit, into Adam. So right here, we're kind of seeing this same theme going. Born of the Virgin Mary. Now, this one, I think that it always kind of catches us a little bit of like, why does that matter so much? And there are some people that when they walk down these beliefs, uh, they really get in kind of a goofy spot. Uh, I think what, what we need to pull from this one is this. The virgin birth, which is a miraculous event, it helps us see Jesus silhouetted against the promise that God made to Abraham. Because when you read the Old Testament, almost every turning point in God's people, there was an event that had some type of a miraculous birth, a miraculous something with a child. Okay, so think about this. Like Abraham and Sarah, she can't have kids. God says, you're going to have a kid, and Jacob is born. Jacob is later named Israel. Okay, this is a, a major turning point for God's people. All right? Um, and then you have uh, Moses. He comes on the scene, and he, he doesn't have a miraculous birth, but they were killing all of the, the babies. And so they, they put him into a basket. They put him in the Nile, and basically Pharaoh's daughter ends up finding him. All these things where you're like, wow, this is insane that this happened. Like, it is a miraculous thing that is surrounding uh, his infancy. All right, then in the time of Judges, uh, Samson comes into the picture, again, through a miraculous work of God, just kind of like, like Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And then we see Hannah, who cannot conceive and prays, and her son Samuel comes. He's dedicated to the Lord, and he becomes this major prophet for God's people. And this is through the Old Testament. Then we see Elizabeth, who has a miraculous birth, and this, this becomes John the Baptist. All right, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And so this, this absolutely is meant to bring some of this imagery of like, this is another turning point for God's people. All right, then it says he's, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Just the first word there, suffered. This word is important. Until this point in the creed, things sound really good. But for many of the New Testament authors, they, they would sum up the Messiah's life in this word, suffered suffering. It is vital that we understand that he suffered and that we have the same fate. Things are not meant to be all great and perfect. This absolutely combats the idea that we see today of like the prosperity gospel. If you follow Jesus, everything in your life will be good. The more wealth you have, the healthier you are, the happier you are, that means the more you are following Jesus. If you follow him even more, you're going to get even more. That's, that's not true. That's not part of the Bible. And when we say this idea that he suffered and we are going to suffer, 
it combats that same thing. It's vital that we understand that, that we have the same fate as Jesus. And it says, under Pontius Pilate, this may seem out of place, but understand this, Pontius Pilate is a, is a real person who for the most part, you're not going to find any historian that is going to argue that he wasn't real. And so in this moment of the creed, what it's doing is it's bringing it back down to earth, saying this is not just some theological belief. This is not just these ideas that are out there. This whole thing is about a real person, a real story of Jesus. And he suffered under a real ruler, Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died, and was buried. Crucifixion was the most shameful way of dying. And it was important that Jesus lowered himself like that when he didn't have to. Jesus' followers, I don't know if you knew this, were the first people in history to describe humility as a positive virtue. No one else thought of humility in that way. Today, we know that you should be humble, and yet we love people that are just arrogant and prideful, right? Like you start talking about celebrities, things like that, like the more arrogant they are, sometimes the more we like them. You know, but Christianity, Jesus' followers, they were the first ones to say that being humble is a virtue that we should seek after. And then we have a line that kind of catches people off guard. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. This theological belief, this first part, he descended into hell. This is something called the heroine of hell. Uh, it's, it's an old belief in the church. It's one that is really not talked about, really not taught. Um, but it's something that had kind of been around. The idea is that on Holy Saturday, in between when Jesus was crucified and when he rose again, that he had gone to hell, and we have this idea of like defeating death, taking the keys. Um, in First or Second Peter, I'm blanking on it right now, uh, it says that he went and preached to the imprisoned spirits. There's all sorts of beliefs of if this happened, what happened around that. This is going to be one of the spots where I'm going to say, I don't think this is necessarily core belief here, because we can have a few different thoughts on this, and I don't think it really matters a whole lot, but there are some theological things that, that stem out of this. Uh, it, it does a good job of answering the question, what happened to all the people that died before Jesus? If Jesus is the only way, what happened to them? And so this actually kind of answers uh, some of that. It's been part of the Christian beliefs for a really long time. Uh, we just kind of, in our modern world, have stopped looking at that a lot. I think sometimes uh, in Protestant churches, we get scared of beliefs that are maybe more held by the Catholic church and taught there. And, and sometimes we, oh no, I don't know if we should believe that. And we need to get over some of those weird little things that we have with other Christians. Um, but then the, the second half of this obviously is crucial. Jesus defeats death. He gives a new perspective on death. By nature, as humans, we move from birth to death, right? That, that's the direction that we go. Um, but what we find out with Jesus is that he has reversed this, that death is just the beginning. We move from death to birth, from death to life, all right? That's why baptism which is something that kind of symbols the start of our walk with Christ, is associated with his death. Because we are moving from death to ourselves towards a new life. And so this, this matters. And then the, the last little bit of this, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Um, this isn't a dead religion. 
This is still moving forward. There's something we are expecting. There's something we are hoping in. And hope doesn't mean wishful thinking, all right? Like, he isn't done yet. And we will be judged for what we have done, for how we have spent our time, for, for what we have done with what he has given us, our time, talent, resources. Most of this is about Jesus' life, not his relationship to God. And again, you can see why then the Nicene Creed came back and tried to clarify some of these things. All right? Um, last article, third one. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's all it says about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This is why they went back and they're like, okay, we need to define this a little bit more because people are going every different direction. All right, but the Holy Spirit matters. He should not be the forgotten God like he often is. Like even just saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That says the Holy Catholic Church. Understand Catholic here does not mean denomination. Okay, that's not saying like we don't believe in this church and we only believe in the Catholic Church. Catholic, that word means like it's more this altogether, universal, the big C church. We believe in the church. Okay, that's like that is the, the origins of the word Catholic. There isn't slave or free, Jew or Gentile, man or woman. Like as we step into the family of God, everything else becomes secondary when it comes to our identity. We should not be defining ourselves by Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic. Like we do because, again, we want to measure. We want to know what is it that this group believes. But as a whole, we need to believe in God's church, in the bride of Christ. Whatever defined you previously in life is now washed away and in, com in comparison to this new identity. We're still diverse, and that's beautiful, but the core of who we are is unified. It says the communion of the saints. Becoming a Christian isn't about institutional membership or adopting a certain system of beliefs. It's about joining a family and being included in the circle that is the followers of Jesus. That's why I, I just I can't personally agree with like the idea that you'll hear like I can be a Christian and not be part of a church. I think when we actually get down to it and we begin to read through scripture, I just don't know if that's actually true. Not that being part of a, a church or being a member at a church is like this key crucial thing, but being part of this community, we cannot escape that community idea that is in Scripture. When we say that we shouldn't try and do this alone, it's because we can't. Like we believe in the necessary community, not from a legalistic standpoint, but from a practical, necessary to survive standpoint. We believe in the church. The forgiveness of sins, we're sinful, every one of us, we are in need of saving, something we can't do without Jesus, but to be forgiven, we must admit our wrong and ask for forgiveness. It goes on, the resurrection of the body, again, this isn't about a soul floating off somewhere else, Jesus' bodily resurrection was the first of what's to come for everyone. In Revelation 21, 22, we see this great city, the new heaven and new earth, that will physically, we will physically inhabit as physical beings, and again, standing against Gnosticism in, in this spot. And it says, and life everlasting. Life everlasting. Now something to ponder here. Are you living a life that is worth being repeated for eternity? Like I think we actually do a disservice when we think of life everlasting as something that's just in the future. And I need to just live this way right now so that I can get to that. 
It's much easier to see in the original Greek in the New Testament, but often when Jesus is talking about eternal life, when Paul's talking about eternal life, it's not this distant thing. It's actually something that has already started. That eternal life is something that has started as we move into this relationship. And so as we live today, if our thing is, well, I'm going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to save a bunch of money and get this house and do this, I'm going to have retirement and, like, and all these different things. If we are living a life like that, do you, do you want to continue that? for all of eternity. If you would say that the life that you're living right now is not something you want to continue forever, you need to ask some questions. What about this do I need to be changing? Now, obviously, we live where we have to have a job, we have to have money, we have to be able to put food on the table. But our life should not be something to endure as we wait for something so much better. We can have that now. We can be living a life for God that is totally different from the world around us. And it finishes with amen. Saying amen is kind of like signing your name, confirming the truth, and, and authorizing it. And the funny thing is we're almost authorizing something that we are saying in faith. Like very, very few things that we just recited can we actually prove. Or very few do we fully understand. But we stand by it anyways. We stand in faith, believing things that take trust to recite. I almost kind of think of this at the end of this saying like, when you have the, you have the man that goes to Jesus and he wants Jesus to, to deliver his son from a demon. And Jesus says, I can do this, but you, know, you need to believe. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Which is this weird little response that I absolutely love. And that's where I kind of land in some of these things. I say, I believe in this. I don't always understand every single piece of it and all the depths of it. So God, help me in my unbelief, but, but I believe, I trust. I'm going to step out in faith. All right, let's stand as we kind of bring this to a close here. What we believe matters. It really does. When we, when we don't understand our beliefs, we easily get mixed up and then we start down some weird paths. And we see that all over. Okay, there are some things that are, that are huge in the American church today that I'm just going to be honest are stemming from some really unhealthy beliefs. Some of the directions that people are going, some of the things that like have been linked together with Christianity in the church that have zero business being part of the church. Um, like it, it matters what we believe. It matters that we understand that. Because history is full of people heading off in the wrong direction. The early church was full of it. And things like the creed can help in that area. Unfortunately, creeds have caused divisions over the years. You know, not necessarily this one, but there's every denomination. Uh, there's a lot of them out there that have like their own creed or different things that they kind of state on different things. But the Apostles' Creed... Um, as much as it's been ignored by a lot of modern churches, uh, I, I think it really should be unifying. It should bring us together. When we start off by saying, I believe, like just think about this for a minute. Think about how many other voices you are joining with as you say, I believe. The church over the last 2,000 years that you're joining with I believe, as much as it sounds individualistic, is not an individualistic statement. It's saying that I, I'm joining my voice with anybody else's that's saying this, with anyone for however long in history that has repeated this. I'm joining together 
in that. Hopefully today you've been uh, maybe even challenged to try and have a better understanding of, of what you believe and why. All right, and I had a, a book that kind of helped me prepare for this. Like I said, I didn't know much about the Apostles' Creed. And this one had come highly recommended. It's a guy named Ben Myers. If you want to understand more about this, like, you can borrow this. Uh, come talk to me. And it's basically every single line, he just has like two pages of explanation of why that matters, why that's in there, all these different things. It was really interesting to kind of go through. And then he actually wrote a book that someone illustrated. It's a kid's book. And I think sometimes we get nervous of like creeds or things like that, like it feels so legalistic. But I'll tell you this, there, there's nothing legalistic about trying to understand the foundation of what you believe. Uh, my son, my eight-year-old, has read through this multiple times because it's been sitting in my office. So when he comes in, he just sits down, reads through, reads through. And I'll tell you what, the conversations I've had with him over the last couple of weeks here have been amazing. As he jumps into things, I'm like, I never would have understood that at your age. Some of the things, I'm like, I never would have understood that three months ago. <laughs> and it's just like, it's amazing to see how he's kind of moving in that direction. All right? Uh, otherwise, we, this fall, we have a small group that we're doing like every fall just called Alpha. It walks through some of the most core uh, beliefs that, that we have as a church. Um, and it's an amazing series. I would encourage you, if you want to have a better understanding of what you believe and why you believe it, uh, that's something this fall as we go into those life groups, be looking out for that. Now, I want to close, but I want to end with us saying the creed together, if you're comfortable with doing that. All right, and this may very well be one of the very first times that the creed has been recited in this church. I don't even know. <laughs> for sure, it's been the first time since I've been here. Um, and this is, it's, it's just kind of a different thing. And and I, but I want us to just join together right now. And, and there's something beautiful about not just having our individual beliefs and everyone being different from each other, but having things that bring us together that we stand on and say, we believe this. You know, and so I, I want us to, to say this together. Then I'm going to pray and kind of close us out, all right? So I'll kind of start it. We aren't used to, like some of you guys are like, hey, I'm a pro at this. I came from a Catholic background or a Lutheran background. You just started. I'm jumping in. I'll know exactly where to go. All right. And then a lot of us in the room, you're like, I have no idea what's happening. All right. So let's, we're going to kind of just walk through this together a little bit, um, reading this together. So I uh, should be, yep. All right. Beautiful. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God, we pray that uh, just over the last two weeks, Lord, as we have looked at this idea of different denominations, all these different splits that have happened, Lord, that we would be able to honor you uh, and truly just seek after unity. God, that this would be something that could help us uh, be unified with other churches in town, with other believers. God, we know that your kingdom is so much bigger than us. 
God, it's so much bigger than one denomination or, or one mainline kind of uh, way of thinking, God, that, that it's so much bigger than that. God, I pray that you would use us to tear down some of these walls of division. God, that we would come against disunity when we see it, that we would speak highly of your church. God, that we would speak highly of the bride of Christ. Lord, and we just pray for, uh, for this to be something unifying. Lord, because we know that together we can have so much more of an impact than we can apart. So God, we, we ask that you would guide us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.